Welcome to YP Connect, a podcast series delivered by YP Gold Coast, the city's leading advocacy group which aims to motivate, inspire and connect future city leaders. In this series, we're talking to passionate Gold Coasters who are at the top of their fields, from CEOs and business leaders to entrepreneurs, academics and health professionals, representing the industries that will drive our economic success now and into the future. My name is Carla Toomer. I'm a YP Gold Coast committee member and journalist and presenter for 1029 Hot Tomato and MyGC. Together with the YP committee, I'll be bringing you six podcasts over the next several weeks, exploring everything from tourism industry development and recovery to building personal brands, pivoting in a crisis and medical breakthroughs happening right here in our backyard. The YP Connect podcast series would not be possible without our amazing sponsors. Thank you to Griffith University, Cronin Miller Litigation, GT Advisory and Consulting, PKF Gold Coast, the Gold Coast Suns and our media partners 1029 Hot Tomato and mygc.com.au. For today's episode, I'm joined by Mary Grant, President for YP Gold Coast and Co-Director of McTaggart Grant Lawyers. Welcome, Mary. Thanks for having me, Carla. Today's topic is the Gold Coast medical industry at the forefront of health innovation. The Gold Coast healthcare industry is leading innovation across the world due to its strong talent pool of medical experts and providers. One of the institutes leading the charge is Griffith University's Institute for Glycomics, a unique Gold Coast organisation that is heavily involved in driving the development of the Gold Coast Health and Knowledge Precinct and leading the development of the biotechnology industry here on the Gold Coast. So joining us for today's podcast is Dr. Chris Davis, and he's the general manager of the Institute for Glycomics located at the state-of-the-art health and knowledge precinct here on the coast. Griffith University's Institute for Glycomics is the only facility of its kind in Australia and one of only six in the world tackling diseases of global impact at the new frontier of biomedical research. Welcome, Dr. Chris. Thank you, and thanks for that very kind introduction. Oh. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. We are thrilled to have you on our podcast series, um, and I'd really like to just get stuck in and find out a little bit more about you. So I'd love to know, did you always have an interest in science as a kid? Did you know you'd grow up to be a scientist? That's a really good question, and the answer is absolutely not. <laughs> oh, you know, I actually, really? uh, after I left school, I, um, I, I did a trade before I started in science, so I'm, I'm trade qualified. And I realised that that wasn't the industry for me and, and it was from there on that I actually moved into science. So, no, I did not have a, uh, a drive towards science, but I found it later in life. Well, I must say you don't look like a scientist. Um, I was expecting, I don't know what, a lab coat, some crazy white hair or something, and you are far <laughs> from it. Um, but I guess moving into your career as a scientist, I'm sure there's been some massive highlights over that time. Yeah, for sure. Look, I think, um, you know, the career path I've taken has been a really exciting journey for me. Um, it's one that I didn't anticipate. Uh, it, I did pursue, obviously, a career in pharmaceutical and biotech industry, but I didn't realise it would take me uh, to where I am today. And also, I didn't realise it would take the Gold Coast and the Gold Coast uh, biomedical industry to where it is today. Um, Chris, have you always lived on the Gold Coast? Has it always been home for you? 
It hasn't. I've been here for most of my life, but I moved here at a, at a fairly young age. And so I consider the Gold Coast my home. There is no better place in the world to live. Uh, I'm fortunate enough to live part of the week uh, near the beach and the other part in the hinterland. And it's, there's no better lifestyle for me. I've got two border collies. I take them down to the beach on the weekends. And on the weekends, I take them out to, uh, out to the bush. So... It's a great place to be. The beach in Hinterland, you're pretty lucky to have two places and two beautiful parts of our city. Yeah, oh, look, I think we're all lucky to live here, right? It's, it's <laughs> such a wonderful city where the, the beaches are so close to the Hinterland and we can enjoy both. And that's exactly what I do. Make the most of it. And if you had to pick one as your weekend spot, is it the beach or is it more... The, the rainforest. I'm sorry, I can't split them. I love them, I love <laughs> them equally. Yeah, I'm a country. I'm a country boy, I guess at heart, but I just love the beach as well. So I'm not going to split them. Fantastic. Well, I'd love to know more about the Institute of Glycomics, but I guess what is glycomics? What's the study of glycomics for people who may have never or have even heard of that word? Yeah, that's a really good question. Glycomics is simply the study of sugars. Now, we don't study sugars as they are in nutrition. We actually study sugars and their role in disease. So what most people don't know is that every cell in our body, whether it's a brain cell, a lung cell, or a liver cell, is actually covered in sugars. And those sugars don't just sit there on the surface. They're actually lodged into the membrane of all of our cells. And those sugars on the surface of our cells are so important, and they enable our cells to talk to each other and to do a whole heap of other things. But what's really important, particularly in disease, is that diseases uh, exploit the role of sugars in our bodies. As an example, influenza will actually, if you breathe in influenza, so if someone's sitting next to you, they sneeze, they've got influenza and you breathe that in, that influenza virus will actually search for one particular sugar on the surface of the cells of your respiratory tract. It'll latch onto that sugar on the cells of your respiratory tract. It will infiltrate your cell and overwhelm your body with disease through that one sugar. If we didn't have those sugars on the cells of our respiratory tract, we wouldn't be infected by flu. So that's how important sugars are in disease. And it's understanding that role of sugars in disease uh, that we apply in the Institute for Glycomics to invent new drugs and new vaccines for cancer and infectious diseases. Is it strange that you've said sugar that much that now I'm craving something like a red skin or <laughs> like an ice lollipop or something? <laughs> when you say sugar coating, um, you know, cells, I'm thinking like sugar coated donuts. That's what, that's what I'm thinking. Is that it's, sort of how you, you know, describe, um, you know, glycomics? And that is the perfect analogy. Yeah. It's, you know, sugars coat our cells just like sugar coats a donut, but they use those sugars on the surface as a language. And they, they, that language allows ourselves to talk to each other. But as I said, the biggest problem for us is diseases will exploit that, whether it be cancers or infectious diseases like malaria, uh, croup, uh, which is caused by para-influenza and other diseases like that. So the Institute is one of only six in the world and the only one in Australia. So it is a massive coup that it is here on the coast. 100%. I think, uh, you know, the, the founding director and current director of the Institute for Glycomics, Professor Mark Van Nistein, uh his dream and vision, I guess, was to always uh, create on the Gold Coast what you see over in San Diego, which is a major biotech hub. And his vision was to create that right here. And so he, he originally from, uh, from Queensland, he uh, actually spent some time down in Melbourne, but the state government, Griffith University, moved him up about 20 years ago 
and offered him the opportunity to to start his own institute here on the Gold Coast. Mark just uh, many many people wouldn't know uh, that Mark actually invented the world's first drug for influenza, and that drug is called Relenza. It's still the frontline therapy today for influenza, and so I think with with Mark's uh, leadership in the institute, we've built the institute from a very small collection of people, actually four or five people back in the year 2000, to over 230 research scientists and support staff today, uh, all working on various diseases uh, in inventing new drugs and new vaccines. So it's a huge employer, but it's something that a lot of Gold Coasters wouldn't even know is here in our city. We do our best to get the word out there, uh, that, that's for sure. Uh, we, maybe we should be doing more to get the word out there that we, we, that we are here. We're located uh, on Griffith University campus right across the road from the Gold Coast University Hospital. We're very integrated with the hospital in that we run all of our clinical trials with the hospital. So if we invent a new drug or vaccine, we'll work closely with the, the clinicians at the hospital to test those in people for the very first time. Um, but yeah, you're right. Uh, people probably don't realise that an institute of our size 230 scientists is located right here on the Gold Coast and moreover they don't realise the world-class science that's been done here right on the Gold Coast. Can you can you give us some examples and elaborate on the kind of research um, that's being undertaken at the Institute at the moment? Yeah sure so we we work on a number of uh, cancers and also a number of infectious diseases. Infectious diseases are things like COVID-19, uh, like influenza, uh, like para-influenza, which is different from influenza, para-influenza causes croup in children. It also causes uh, major infection in the elderly and in immunocompromised patients. And most people haven't heard of para-influenza. Interestingly, there is no drug available for para-influenza. Uh, a group of researchers, uh, which is led by Professor Mark von Uchstein at the Institute for Lycomics, actually have invented the world's most potent small molecule compounds as potential drugs for para-influenza. Um, what's really exciting for me and in my role at the Institute for Glycomics as general manager and, and my background is in, in the commercial space, in venture capital, in doing deals with pharma and biotech companies, is that we were able to take Professor Van Uchstein's para-influenza lead molecules, package them up as a commercial opportunity and partner with one of China's biggest pharmaceutical companies. Uh, we are now embarking on a program where we want to modify and develop those small molecule candidates further so we can take them into human clinical testing. So that will be the first human clinical testing of a small molecule drug for para-influenza. How much of an impact will that have? The elderly uh, will, will in a lot of cases die uh, depending on their age, uh, if they contract para-influenza in a nursing home. The mortality rate or the death rate of para-influenza is up around 50% in the elderly. So it's extraordinarily high. You compare that to COVID-19 and we're seeing um, death rates, mortality rate of around about 3 to 5%. But with something like para-influenza in the elderly, you're seeing those rates up at around 50%. So it's a massive impact. Croup in children, uh, everyone knows that croup is a massive problem in children, particularly when it leads to more invasive disease. Currently, there's no therapy for it. So hopefully, if we can take this uh, through to market with our company partner, we will have the world's first drug for human para-influenza. I think that's um, a great sort of segue, I suppose, into a question that we had from one of our sponsors. Uh, GT Advisory and Consulting is a sponsor of us here at YP Gold Coast. And they were really interested in the business of science and obviously that's something um, that you've said to us you're heavily involved in now, not so much, you know, in the lab with the lab coat on, you're um, at the forefront of 
you know, getting investments um, for these discoveries. Our sponsor has um, written in to us and they would like to know, um, as, an inst- as a university-owned institute, can you explain the process of commercialising new vaccines and taking them from, you know, say that research and development phase through to um, a product which requires investment that needs to meet certain profit objectives? Yep. That, that is a really great question because when you or I or you know, our family walk into a pharmacy and they go to the, you know, with their script and, and, and ask the pharmacist to fill that script, you never ask yourself the question, where did that come from? Who invented that technology? When they invented it in the laboratory, when they made that first observation, how did they then develop that lead molecule? How did they get funding to take it into human clinical trials? Who did they partner with commercially to actually take that to market? And I guess that is what I'm passionate about, is, is how do you take that very early stage scientific discovery and take it through to product on the shelf? So at the Institute for Glycomics, we have built the institute around a model that absolutely takes every technology that we invent and attempts to commercialise it in some way. And that makes us also a little bit unique. Not only is our field of science a little bit unique in the, in the glycomics area, but also our approach to commercialisation. So what we do, we'll, I'll work very closely with the scientists. I work with them every day. And as soon as they come to me and say, Chris, we've made this discovery, can we have a look at it to determine if it's commercial? We then will look at the, the disease space that they're working in, We will look at uh, the patentability of that particular technology. Uh, We will look at what a commercial package would look like to actually be able to develop that technology. We will then also have a look at how early that technology is. So they might have just observed something in a test tube. That's a very long way away from testing that in people for the very first time. Once we've understood all that, we'll then put a package around that that includes patents. It includes a really solid data package. It includes uh, in that data package a, um, some assessment of its toxicity to make sure it's not going to be harmful to people. Mm-hmm. And then we'll take that technology and develop it right through to testing in people for the f- very first time, which is called a phase one trial. Either just before that phase one trial or once we've completed the phase one trial, which is testing in humans, we'll then look for a company partner who's willing to take it through the, the phase two and phase three clinical trials and to market. How much does that cost and how long does it take to do that? From when we've first discovered that technology to product on market, it takes around 10 years and a billion dollars. For us to take it through to the end of a phase one, it will take, it costs around about 20 million to 30 million dollars. And in some cases, we can do it ourselves. In most cases, we need a company partner on board to help us take it through those steps. So would you have different partners for different stages? So, you know, obviously talking about phase one being um, the testing phase, um, clinical trials, um, would you seek um, an industry partner for that component and then, you know, a pharmaceutical company to actually commercialise it once it's a viable um, discovery, commercialise it and get it into the into the wider market for consumption? Yep, yep. That, that's a really good question as well. Look, there's, there's two possible avenues for us commercialising our biomedical technologies. One is we can spin out a company, we can incubate or develop that technology within the company to a certain point, and that company can then deal with, do a deal with a major pharma company, uh, multinational or what have you. The alternative approach is we can partner at a slightly earlier stage with a pharma company uh, and co-develop that technology with them to the limit of our expertise. 
And that's the approach that we've chosen to take, and we've been fairly successful at, at doing that. Uh, and what that enables us to do is work with the com- with the pharmaceutical company for a much longer period of time. And we we have, I guess, uh, our hands on the technology for much longer, so we don't just see it go out the door. And that's really important to us. Also, the business model around partnering with companies is really important. We don't sell our technologies. We rent our technology or license it to them. Yeah. And that is really important. I think from my perspective, mm. I think in Australia, we, we we have brilliant assets in Australia. We have intellectual property assets, like the one that we ones that we deal with. We have other assets in Australia. And my firm view is that we should be licensing them or renting mm. them. If the people that we license them to don't perform and don't take that product to market, then they lose it and it comes back to us. And that, I think, is, is a really important piece of the puzzle for us in developing our commercial strategy. And I'm sure that also helps support the you know, continuous funding of the Institute, getting you know, licensing fees in from all these different partners that you have. It, it helps you further the research that you're doing. That's right. It, it does. And, and just to give you an example, you know, I spoke about uh, human para-influenza and the, the drug candidate that we're developing for that. We, uh, in the deal that we just did uh, with the pharma company, uh, we were able now and for the next two years to employ 16 highly qualified scientists here on the Gold Coast. And that's out of one deal. So that that's the type of thing that we want to do. And, and that's the type of critical mass that we want to build in doing our commercial deals. We don't want to just send it off overseas. We want to do the mm. research here in Australia and here on the Gold Coast. So I imagine that it involve a lot of travel um, with your role. So going over to the different um, pharmaceutical companies and their headquarters and, you know, pitching pitching the discovery, um, telling them more about what you do back here at the Institute. Do you um, often host them here on the Gold Coast? Yeah, we do actually. Um, we, we do host quite a few people on the Gold Coast, uh, a few, few companies uh, and investors. Uh, so we, we do travel a lot. We're in the US at least once every year, sometimes several times a year. Uh, we're in China several times a year and also Europe at least once a year. Uh, and we will invite them back to the Gold Coast so they fully understand uh, the Institute, how we operate, and in getting uh, getting together with us in a co-development type arrangement, um, they can fully appreciate what expertise we have and, and what we can deliver. Are we leading the charge, would you say, Dr Chris? We are. I mean, we are. We, we definitely are. As I said, Australia has some of the world's best scientists. And that's, I mean, that's undisputed. We, we actually do. Uh, here on the Gold Coast, we've been able to attract some of those world's best scientists. And we're leading the charge in small molecule drug candidates for infectious diseases and also vaccines for infectious diseases. Uh, we also obviously work in the cancer space, but a vaccine candidate that we've been working on is a malaria vaccine candidate. And that's one that's very close to our heart that we've been working on for uh, quite a number of years now. Um, I can go into that one if you like, but well, that's really an exciting. I was just going to say, I actually went on a, a honey, my honeymoon last November to Africa and had to take malaria tablets. It's a pain in the bum, I should say, <laughs> taking them two weeks before you go and two weeks when you get back. So I was taking them for six weeks in total. So I guess I'd love to know sort of the malaria vaccine that you're developing, how, how is that going to work, I guess, once it hits the market? And I know how- that might be quite far down the track, but yeah, how, how is it going? Yep. Good, good question. <laughs> so uh, so it, like I said, it's been a, a really uh, exciting journey with the malaria vac- vaccine candidate that we have. We invented this uh, several years ago now. Professor Michael Good is a lead researcher driving this this technology. 
you know, I should point out first of all that malaria is uh, often overlooked. You know, we we don't live with malaria, so we don't know the impact. We talk about COVID nineteen at the height of COVID nineteen. You know, killing maybe two thousand people a day. Every day of every year, malaria kills fifteen hundred children in Africa. And you know we really we really forget that you know we we understand the impact when we when we travel, um, but living with the disease is is obviously something else again. So our mission is to create a vaccine. It's our view that a vaccine will be the only thing that that will solve the malaria problem. Uh, we're taking a completely different approach to every other organisation in the world. What we're doing is we're taking the whole malaria parasite and essentially putting it to sleep. Uh, other other organisations around the world have taken a small component of the malaria parasites, our protein, and they'll use that to try and raise an immune response in the body. But we've seen with other attempts in the past that that approach just does not work well. So our approach is to take the whole parasite, essentially put it to sleep with a chemical that we've manufactured in our laboratory, and then administer that whole parasite into a person so their body sees the whole parasite and raise an immune response to the whole parasite. We've uh, taken that uh, vaccine technology now into testing in people in a, in a first uh, pilot study. Uh, we've subsequently, and, and right now actually it's been delayed because of COVID, but we'll be, we'll be com uh, completing the trial uh, once, once COVID uh, lockdowns have, have been uh, uh, lightened up a little bit. But we're now uh, going through what's called a vaccinate and challenge study. That's where we'll take healthy volunteers, we'll vaccinate them with our experimental vaccine, and then a couple of months later, we will give them a live malaria parasite to wow. see if our vaccines actually worked. Now, obviously, we run that under completely controlled and safe conditions. We have anti-malarial drugs there if they do get an infection, if our, if our vaccine candidate doesn't work. Um, but we're hoping that the vaccine obviously works extraordinarily well. Some early results are indicating that it's very positive. Uh, and so we're really excited about the outcome of this trial and then a new formulation that we have to develop to be able to roll this out in third world countries. So the trials are happening here on the Gold Coast um, in the precinct the Health and Knowledge Precinct, can anyone sign up to be um, and And who, who does? I yeah. guess that's something I would like. I mean, I wouldn't want to get malaria, so I don't know if I'd be signing myself up, but obviously there are people out there that are love science and want to be involved and want to help. So who are these people? Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> so look, um, I, I'm going to take this opportunity to say if you, if you are interested in clinical trials, please have a look at Griffith University's Clinical Trial Unit website, also our Institute for Glycomics website. You can sign up to clinical trials uh, through, those, uh, through, through those avenues. Um, who would sign up? It's a good question. Anyone who understands what we're doing and wants to support this mission to deliver a vaccine or a drug, whatever it may be for a particular disease. You know, I mentioned that we're currently in, in the process of vaccinating and challenging or trying to give those people a live infection to mm -hmm. see if our vaccine worked. The first thing that we did before we actually tested our vaccine was we invented a human challenge model. We were actually the first in the world in 2015, I believe it was, to grow malaria in a test tube in human blood and then administer that to people to give them an, a malaria infection intentionally. Mm. We control in a controlled way we monitor that infection in their blood and before it gets to a high level of infection we can treat it with drugs what that enabled us to do was actually test 
drugs and vaccines of our own and of, and of others using that controlled model. We're the only place in the world uh, that, that are doing that. Um, and so that, that trial in particular was a really interesting one where we had to recruit patients or volunteers, sorry, healthy volunteers, uh, and we had to do that through uh, the means that are available to us, and that included advertising in the Gold Coast Bulletin as an example. So we advertise through whatever means we can to recruit volunteers. Uh, they get reimbursed for their time, so they do get um, they, financially they do get reimbursed for their time. Excuse me, their time, um, but it is a good question as as to you know who wants to <laughs> yeah, who, who wants to people? sign up yeah 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 yeah. I mean, yeah. you may have convinced me. I may be you know signing up to. I mean, it depends on what the remuneration is, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, we, if it assures you any further, I mean, like I said, we've got the best scientists. Further to that, you know, we work so closely with the Gold Coast University Hospital. Dr. John Gerard, head of infectious diseases at the Gold Coast University Hospital, he, he played a major role in the Ebola breakouts over in Sierra Leone when, when that was a problem um, several years ago. Um, he is the best uh, physician we could ever want to be involved in our human clinical trials. He and his team are the people responsible for administering our uh, experimental vaccine and following the healthy volunteers that put their hand up uh, to, to uh, take these, to, you know, take these vaccines and, and be the, uh, the original uh, guinea pig to be tested on. Yeah. Should everything go to plan with this malaria vaccine and let's say it all runs smoothly, when do you think it will be out in, on the market for people to to, to be inject is it injected yeah, with? I don't yeah, know what the technical yeah. term is. Um, yeah, when yeah. do you expect it to hit the market? So, uh, look, we're, we're, we're as I said, we're running a, a, a basically a phase one at the moment. What we need to do is go and reformulate so we can have a formulation that we can roll out in the third world. Cold chain in the third world doesn't necessarily work that well, so we have to mm. develop a freeze-dried formulation that works well in the third world. We have to do that next. We can then run another phase one trial to make sure it works. After that phase one, we can then take it into Africa or into end endemic regions, including, for example, Papua New Guinea and, and places closer to home. <clears throat> that then gives us the opportunity to actually administer it to uh, people in those endemic areas to prevent potentially uh, malaria infection. And so it means that we're getting out to those countries fairly soon in the next handful of years. To market is a little bit longer. Uh, to market, it's still going to be about six or seven years away. Uh, and, you know, we, we talk about getting it to market. What does that actually mean? It's largely a third world disease is how everyone sees mm. it. But in fact, you mentioned earlier, yes. Carla, that, you know, you had to take anti-malarial anti drugs before you go over. So the tourism markets, military markets are still big ones. So in a, in a business model sense, we're looking at this as potentially a, a public-private partnership or some other type of arrangement that brings together uh, philanthropists, that brings together government organisations and others to help us take this out to market. It must be very rewarding work that you're doing, um, especially in the third world and developing something that's potentially going to save so many lives. You must go to bed at night, I guess, um, feeling quite content and and happy with the impact that you're having. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we've, we have we have such a great team of scientists at the Institute. Not just scientists, though. We have a great team of business professionals at the Institute who are all driving this. Without that team, none of this would happen. And, it were, you know, you need the, the business folk working side by side, hand in hand with the researchers. And when you see that happening, yes, then I, say, then I go mm -hmm. home at night and go, this is fantastic. <laughs> we're actually really achieving... Um, some 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 real good here in the world. We're actually getting drugs and vaccines out there. 
If I've got time, I'd love to just really briefly touch mm. on uh, a drug candidate that we actually have just completed a phase two. So this is the second uh, second phase of clinical testing. So quite advanced. Quite advanced. Yeah. And we actually we actually did a deal with a, an Australian-listed company, Paradigm Biopharma, on this drug candidate that we invented. So Dr. Lara Herrero, Herrero invented this uh, technology uh, going back about three years ago now, uh, where she took an existing drug for a completely different disease and found that she was able to apply it to viral-induced arthritis. You've heard of Ross River virus. Mm -hmm. That leaves some of its sufferers with chronic arthritis. There's another virus in that same family. It's called an alpha virus, alpha virus family. Uh, it's called chikungunya virus. We don't get so much of that here, but they get it in other parts of the world and it's terrible. It actually leaves you with crippling arthritis. So Lara was able to show that if she applies this drug that was invented for a completely different disease to viral-induced arthritis, those, those um, patients actually don't get the arthritic symptoms. We just completed it, well, Paradigm Biopharma with us just completed a phase two human clinical trial and it was completely successful in all of the, uh, all of the um, patients that they enrolled in that study. Uh, so what that means now is that we'll go into a phase three study. So Paradigm will take that through to a phase three study. And if that's successful, hopefully take that to market. What that means for our institute is that will be our first drug to market and hopefully in wow. three or four years time, and it'll be the world's first drug for viral induced arthritis. So we're that's pretty excited. That stuff's yeah. really exciting. And the institute's been around, um, I understand, 20 years. So to, to have that achievement within, which I think is a, Quite a short time, really. Yeah, um, yep. is absolutely fantastic happening yep. here in in our backyard. In our backyard, I would like to touch on, and I don't know um, how much you can tell us about this, but obviously we're going through a pandemic at the moment with coronavirus. Is the institute at all involved in anything to do with coming up with a vaccine for that, or um, is there anything you can tell us about a vaccine happening in um, on the Gold Coast or in southeast Queensland? Okay, I can. I can tell you a lot about that, actually. <laughs> so, yes, we are working on coronavirus. So just to give you an idea of the types of facilities we have, we're one of the only facilities in Australia that can handle live coronavirus. We have a physical containment three laboratory, so that's one of the higher levels of containment for uh, whether it be a bacterial or, or viral disease. Uh, we have uh, samples that have been taken from uh, some of the first coronavirus patients in Australia. Uh, we have been able to, uh, with colleagues at the Gold Coast University Hospital and Forensic Scientific Services, uh, culture that virus and work with that virus uh, in our physical containment labs. What we're doing that's quite unique, though, is we have developed a model where we can actually grow human respiratory cells outside of the body in a 3D matrix. So we can actually grow cells on the lab bench, we can infect those cells with coronavirus, and then we can test all the drugs that are currently on the market to see which ones will work against human cells on the lab bench. So that's the closest you're gonna get before you test that drug in people. So we're doing that right now. Uh, we're, we're going through that process. We're not, we haven't completed that process. So we're looking at what are called repurposed drugs to fight coronavirus. And in my view, that's what we need immediately to fight the current challenge. The longer term solution is a vaccine, but that will take time. We're also working mm -hmm. on a vaccine candidate and that's looking very good at the moment. It's in its very early stages, uh, but we are working on a vaccine candidate as well. So we have four research groups within the uh, Institute all working together uh, for this com common, common goal, which is a drug 
for the immediate response and then a vaccine for the longer term uh, response. Well, obviously you said a vaccine takes approximately 10 years to get to market. So that drug is going to help until that can can happen? That's correct. That's our, that's our view. Hopefully we can come up with a therapy where, you know, where you get your more severe uh, patients, that therapy can treat that infection, hold it at bay so we don't see as many deaths. Uh, the longer term solution, as I said, is the vaccine. Now, why it's a longer term solution is that it does take time to make sure that vaccine is absolutely safe before you roll it out to a broad population. Uh, probably the, what they'll f- do first of all is if they do come up with a vaccine candidate, once they've tested it in, uh, in, in a phase two study, they may roll it out to the highest risk population first uh, before they more broadly roll that vaccine out. But it will take years. You've right. got to make sure it's safe. Mm. We, don't want to, we don't want the vaccine to be more problematic than the So at the disease. moment it's really preventative, trying to find that preventative um, solution. Yep, that's right. Short-term solution. Short-term solution. And yeah. is that, um, I suppose, COVID has just turned the world on its head and has been a, a great interrupter. Um, and particularly, I'd imagine in the field of medical research, you know, your research teams have been working on um, their own projects and, you know, global pandemic kits, and they've been pulled off those jobs and, you know, um, thrown into thrown into um, this new this new research, which needs to happen quite quickly. So is 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 that what the institute has found? We we have we've done exactly that. Mm. So we've we've uh, basically brought together teams of scientists to build up our COVID nineteen effort, uh, and that and and we're hoping that that actually does deliver. Uh, so that we had to dra- drag them off other projects for a sh- short amount of time uh, to be able to do this, but uh, in our view, it's, it is absolutely what's required at this point in time. Dr. Chris, thank you so much for joining us for today's chat. It's been so insightful to hear more about what the Institute of Glycomics is doing, to hear what it's all about. If people want to find out more information, where do they go? How do they get their hands on to that? Yep, no worries at all. So look, if you want more information, uh, just type Glycomics into Google. We'll be the first, we'll be the top hit. Uh, click on our on our website and our we just published our 2019 annual report. That gives you a really good overview of what's happening in the Institute. Uh, if you're really interested and you want to get a bit more involved, feel free to make contact with us, come in for a tour. We'd be delighted to have the, our local community uh, in, in, to, in to look around the place. There's nothing better than local community support for what we do. Thank you so much, Thanks, Dr. Chris. Chris. Thanks, Mary. Thanks, Carla.